0: Thank you, Dallas. That was, that was great. Really blessed by the worship today. Wasn't it wonderful? I just felt like we could go on another couple of hours there. Thank you, worship team, Jim, everybody on the team. It was a special, special time in the Lord's presence. I want to especially recognize my sister, Rocky's here from, uh, Lindsay, Oklahoma. Thank you for being here, Rocky. Natasha and Darshan. Darshan's flying back to Portland actually right now. Solomon and Elsa are here from Portland. Really sad to say that, but it's a, it's a, it's a reality that they are now living in Portland, but they come back. And then Chris and Bonnie and their family, uh, thanks for being here. Just great to see you guys. You know, before we just go on, I'd like to pray one more prayer. And, uh, you know, we we're talking about ammunition for, uh, for the for the fathers, but I would uh, pray that there be encouragement for the fathers especially this morning. Father, thank you so much for your your goodness, your kindness, your mercy in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak through your word to each of us, fathers, mothers, everyone that is here. Pray, Lord, that if there's anybody here this morning that has never surrendered to Christ, that they would make that decision the greatest decision any man or any woman could make this day. And, Father, I pray also that anything that I might say that is not of you would quickly vanish and only the truth of your word would remain. Thank you, Father, for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me tell you that I'm, I'm not a Greek scholar. Greek was my most challenging course in seminary. But I heard a uh, message. I listen to Christian radio, typically on my way to work. And there was a G- Greek word that just fascinated me that was mentioned in the message. And I just did some research on it. I got my, our Greek scholar, Jim, to help me with this uh, just a little bit. Thank you, Jim. And uh, so uh, I'd actually like to talk about lessons that I'm still learning from my father, but before I get to that, I want to tell you a Greek word that I feel applies entirely to everything that will follow. In fact, I pray, really, that if you forget everything else that I say, you won't forget this word, and you'll apply it to your life. It is, I believe, as I've looked at it and read about it, one of the most powerful words ever spoken. In this world, Ira the hymn writer, uh, some of you remember that name, uh, spoke uh, or wrote of this word. The word is Tetelestai, the greatest word from the greatest man on the greatest day in all eternity. Tetelestai. We translate Tetelestai into the English phrase it is finished. And of course, you know when that was spoken. Tatelasti comes from the verb telio, which means to bring to an end, to complete, to accomplish. In fact, the, the word means more than just I survived, it means I did exactly what I said. I I did exactly what I set out to do. When Jesus spoke his second to the last phrase, a word from the cross, he said, tetelestai. I have done exactly what I set out to do. Paid in full is what he said on that incredible day. Tetelestai is in the perfect tense, or actually the past perfect as uh, Jim explained to me. That's significant because the perfect tense speaks of an action which has been completed in the past, with results continuing into the present. It is different from the past tense, which looks back at an event and says, this happened. The perfect tense adds the idea that this happened, and it is still in effect today. An illustration of perfect tense. You ask a jailer, what is your relationship with the prisoner, Bill Smith? which the, the jailer replies, he has been released. The jailer uses past perfect tense here, and in fact, the phrase that I referenced as well is in past perfect tense. Jesus proclaimed from the cross, to Telestai, it is finished. I did, I did exactly what I set out to do. In Philippians 1.6 Paul writes, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here Paul uses the future tense of teleo, epetelese. He who began a good work in you will epitelese it until the day of Christ Jesus. My encouragement to the fathers here this morning, and to all of you, if you have committed your life to Christ, you can be absolutely confident of this one thing. Christ Jesus, who proclaimed, Tetelestai, it is finished, will also epitelise the work he has begun in you. Christ Jesus himself will see to it. He will carry it to completion. Furthermore, Paul wrote in Romans 6.3, we just had a baptism here, so I need to reference this as well. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we were united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Christ Jesus will complete He will epitelisay his work in you because the power of sin has been broken in your life when you believed in Jesus and when you were buried with him through baptism. Meditate on that truth. Embrace it. Celebrate it. Thank God for it. He who proclaimed to the world, it is finished, will bring to completion the work he has begun in each one of us. So that's what I really have to say to you today. But let me tell you some more things I've learned from my dad and I continue to learn from him, and from his life. And my prayer is this, that no man be uh, glorified, but that we would just celebrate what God's grace did in a man from Finland who became a great American patriot, Uno Vesanen. John 1.12, yet to all who received him, to those, there he is, I'm with my dad in India on the, uh, one of the tributaries of the Ganges, we spent three weeks there together, one of the greatest three weeks of my life, I missed my wife and uh, my mom was not able to travel on that trip, but we traveled the dusty roads of India, prayed together, just shared our hearts, preached, and it was it was amazing, so... Anyway, to yet, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. My dad was my personal hero. Uh, he led me to Christ when I was seven years old. I can remember it so clearly, even though it was 65 years ago about now. We had uh, left Finland, immigrated to the United States, and uh, my dad was the uh, youth leader of, of our youth group at the Finnish Pentecostal Church. We had Sunday morning uh, teaching services and gospel services in the evening. And my sister Rocky and I would sit very close to the front uh, in, in all those services. We didn't miss any services. And remember, especially the Sunday night services, there was always a guitar choir. Uh, that was very traditional in Finnish Pentecostal Church. It a guitar choir with probably 15 or 20 voices singing and there was always an invitational song or two, or sometimes three or four. It was, it was, it was just very powerful, and I, I was always impressed, and I didn't quite understand it completely at that point, but it was the Holy Spirit that was, was speaking to all of us during those times of invitation. And on one particular Sunday, I, uh, I, I didn't respond in the invitation, but uh, I, just, I just knew I wanted to, And uh, we lived, it was a storefront church, 23 Beverly Street, downtown Toronto. Uh, It was actually kind of a tough part of town. I didn't know it at the time. We thought it was wonderful. Uh, But it was only 30 seconds to our home because we went up the stairs and we're home. We were on the the top floor of of the building. And my dad could sense that the Lord was working in my heart. And he looked at me and said, Joel, would you right now? like to ask Jesus to come into your heart? And I said, yes, I would. And so I knelt by my parents' bed. My dad led me in a sinner's prayer. And uh, I knew that moment that I had given my life to Jesus. And I know that from that point on, he has continued to epitelise to continue to perfect his work in me. And so I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to my dad that he would uh, lead me to Christ and then go on to disciple me, even today, from from his life, much more by example than by telling me or teaching me in a very formal way. My dad, some of you uh, would agree immediately, was uh, one of the most joyful people you could ever meet. He, uh, his life was punctuated with joy. Very often when he would meet people, old friends or first-time acquaintances, he would happily announce that he's the happiest man in the entire world. And uh, he always was able to verify why. He was, he was blessed because he came to know Christ at an early age. He was blessed because he had a wonderful godly wife and children, three of them, all of us, came to know Christ also at an early age. Uh, He was so blessed because he was involved in preaching the the gospel here in North America and overseas. He was the secretary-treasurer of the Finnish Pentecostal Churches for 40-odd years, traveled to mission fields repeatedly. He was blessed beyond description. And... uh, Many of his friends would just say, hey, here's Uno, he's the happiest man in the world. And, and he would just tell them, yes, I am, because of these very things. You know, my dad didn't come out, uh, just didn't come up with this idea because he came out of a, a wealthy family. He it was the complete opposite. He was not one of these very unique people who always has a beautiful and great attitude. No, in fact, he told me this story many times. Rocky, you probably remember this, but when he was, I think this was before he actually prayed to receive Christ. Uh, They lived in a very, very small home uh, in central Finland in the countryside. And they had porridge typically every morning and poured milk on his porridge. And uh, as he starts eating it, he gets so mad because it's sour milk and he's going to throw the porridge away. And one of his older sisters says, "Oh no, don't do that. We can wash that sour milk off that porridge. And then you can go ahead and eat it for breakfast. So uh, he uh, was transformed when he met Christ. And Uno chose to be happy. He soon discovered, after receiving Christ as a 14-year-old, that uh, the joy of the Lord was his strength and that he could live in that joy every day. I think the book of Philippians uh, beautifully describes my dad's life, his joy, his attitude. Paul writes, whatever happens, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ. Nehemiah 8.10, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I already quoted Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, joy is a, is a uh, wonderful word. It's been used in many different ways. And uh, John Piper said, you know, there's, there's nothing Christian about uh, being joyful if, you know, you're doing great. You've got a beautiful car, beautiful home, beautiful family. There's nothing amazing about that. But in the the Bible, joy is often contrasted with great challenges. And in those challenges, we can still walk in joy because joy is a gift the Lord gives us. Morning may last for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. The the writer of Hebrews says, "Let let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7:4, I have great confidence in you. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. You know, joy is available today. Joy is available to all believers. We have a choice to make each day. Are we going to live in joy or in mourning? I believe joy is more a decision than, than an emotion, and we get to decide every day. I think, uh, and I really do believe this, joy has very little to do with our life circumstances. It is entirely a recognition of God's provision for us and that in spite of tough situations, we can walk in joy. Please don't hear me being flippant at this point. I know that many of us, many of you, face huge challenges each day. Life is actually hard for most of us. And in fact, when you talk to almost anyone they'll tell you a lot of hard things that they have to deal with regardless of their state in life. It is also true, I believe, that the more deeply... Uh, uh, it, it's also true that we, we know God's goodness, his faithfulness, his amazing grace in a, in a deeper way even in the challenging moments in our life. Here's a picture of biblical joy. Again, it's from Philippians. Paul and Silas in prison, praying and singing praises to God after midnight, after being flogged for no good reason. The only reason was because they were preaching the gospel. And uh, you'll remember the story so well. There's an earthquake. I'm not sure what they sang and what what they prayed, but I believe the earthquake was sent from heaven to further amplify the message of the gospel. Paul... uh, later writes, from a Philippian uh, jail cell in Rome, most likely chained to a Roman guard. It is truly an epistle of joy. Many uh, many, many scholars believe that Paul wrote Philippians just about the time Nero began tossing Christians to ravenous lions and burning them as torches to illuminate his banquets. Paul uses joy in Philippians, or rejoice 16 times in only 104 verses. Philippians draws attention to various challenges uh, to joy, and I think we can relate to many of these, such as prison, opponents, grumbling, disunity. Paul rejoices even though he sits in prison maligned by his enemies, hearing reports of sin and strife among his friends. His joy, this is important, is not anchored in circumstances but in his savior who will never disappoint him and who will surely deliver him Ryan tab the academic dean of bethlehem college and seminary wrote christian joy is the great pleasure and happiness that we feel whether or not the sun is shining whether or not our team is winning whether or not we are healthy or hurting Because our Redeemer lives, because we belong to him, and because he is making all things new. By the way, my dad many times said, I don't have a copyright on I'm the happiest man in the world. He said, you can be that as well. You just choose to be. You can even use that exact phrase. He lived in joy all of his life. I remember so clearly July 11th, 2007, I went to see him at St. John Hospital. I read uh, Psalm 121, our family psalm, which ends, and he will be with you, and you're going out and you're coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. He told me he loved me. I told him I loved him. And he said, Take care of Adi. And I said, I will. And then he was gone. So several hours later, the chaplain reported that he came in to pray with him. And uh, my dad said, "Make it make it quick! I'm on my way." <laughs> I think he saw the, the gates of heaven at that point. Chuck Swindoll uh, shared a beautiful poem on his radio program recently. I'll give you the sense of it. Two ships sail out of a harbor. One ship sails east, one ship sails west. It is not the wind that determines where the ship goes. It is the set of the sails. Set your sails to joy. Paul writes, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. by that example, the priority of prayer in the life of a believer. There are 650 prayers listed in the Bible. Bill mentioned 2,300 scriptures on money. Prayer is covered very well as well. It is one of the most important things Christians do. Paul mentions prayer, prayers, prayer reports, prayer requests, and exhortations to pray 41 times. I want you to know that Prayer was practiced in our home from the time that I can remember. We would pray at breakfast, we'd pray at lunch, we'd pray at dinner. At the end of the day, we would kneel in our small living room and on our knees, each one take our turns praying. And sometimes if one of my sisters or maybe I didn't pray, somebody would say, uh, Joel didn't pray. You know, so we, 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 we all would all take our turn. I remember at quite an early age, probably about 10 years old, I started going to uh, the prayer meetings at church with my dad, and uh, you know he didn't expect me to come. In fact, he pretty much said, you don't have to come, Joel. I said, no, I want to go with you, Dad. I want to go to the prayer meeting, and so we would uh, come to the prayer meeting, and it seems like those are, I'm not sure if they were every week, but they were more than once a month, it seems like. We were there often, so anytime time he would go, I would go, and I don't think he missed a meeting, so we were there a lot and uh, so uh, we'd again be on our knees at the church praying two themes particularly praying for the lost and praying for missions and uh finnish missionaries particularly and uh, my dad would say joel you you can pray as well you just pray out loud when, when your turn comes and so i would i learned to pray in prayer meetings at an early age and remember uh, always riding home in our 1954 pontiac after the prayer meetings just having this wonderful sense that we had done god's work together we had agreed in prayer for the lost we had agreed in prayer for our missionaries we had this sense and i know my dad had it as well that we can rest peacefully tonight the lord has heard our prayers he's guarding our hearts you know i believe we can shape the history of our descendants with our prayers. John Wesley said, "God does not, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer." You know, I'm not exactly sure that I agree entirely with what Wesley said there, but the Scripture clearly says in Matthew seven eight, "Ask and it will be given to you; seek and you will find; knock and the door will be opened to you." For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. John five fourteen. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. 1 Peter three twelve. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are attentive to their prayer. And then the Philippians passage, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I believe prayer guards our hearts in challenging times. I've had that experience many times, flying into difficult spots in the world praying in the Holy Spirit, and just having this sense of peace that the Lord is with us, he's going to protect us. Even as recently as just a couple of weeks ago, I flew into northern Iraq with Terry, and uh, we were advised by our state department not to travel. In fact, a lot of the non-necessary staff from the embassy in Baghdad, from the consulate in in, uh, northern Iraq, were leaving. They were told to leave the country. Americans would be targets. And we prayed, and I prayed in the spirit. I felt like the Lord spoke a word to me that he would be with us, that he would hide us in the cleft of the rock. That was kind of the sense I had from him. And, uh, in fact, that was exactly it. Again, that came through prayer. And uh, I just could go on and on, many, many stories uh, from my, my time uh, overseas overseas. Uh, Let me just finish uh, this segment, and I'm almost done. Uh, We're almost done. I can tell that from from the clock. But uh, I'm just so, so thankful for the prayers of my parents, for the prayers of my father. Some of you have heard this. Billy Graham, when he was near the end of his life, a man who probably preached to more people than anybody in the history of the world, said that he had just a couple of regrets about his life. One, that he didn't spend more time with his family. Second, that he didn't pray more. And third, that he didn't spend more time in personal Bible study rather than just reading the Bible for another sermon idea, but to allow God's word to speak to us. So uh, let me encourage you about prayer Dan, you already made a great comment on prayer. Let's continue. Uh, Jesus prayed every day, early in the morning. Some of you, I know, get up very early to pray. Let's continue to find every opportunity to pray. We will see answers to prayer. Our hearts will be guarded. We'll know the Lord's direction as we faithfully seek his face. Let me just go on really quickly here. One of my favorite pictures of my dad. He's 200 miles inside Soviet territory in the middle of World War II there. My my dad taught me that there are some things in life worth dying for. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Some of you watched the 75th anniversary commemoration of D-Day just uh, a few few days ago in Normandy on June the 6th. If You did not get to watch the president's speech. I'd encourage you to do so. It was not a political speech. It was powerful, perhaps his best speech since becoming president. It was all about our troops and their undaunted bravery in the face of withering machine gun and cannon fire. He described the American heroes who stormed the beaches of Normandy as among the greatest Americans who have ever lived. They and their comrades saved Western civilization on that day. The 163 D-Day veterans who attended, can you believe it? These guys are in the 90s, some of the 96, 97, who attended the ceremony basically said in their interviews, that the heroes were their brothers who paid the ultimate sacrifice on that beach and now lay buried in the American cemetery on the bluff overlooking Omaha Beach. The survivors said they were simply doing their duty. That was the greatest generation. My dad fought the Russians in World War II. He said his prayer was that he could visit his home church one more time and his family one more time and then be willing to give his life for Finland. Some of my best memories of Isa are the hours and hours and hours that we'd spend in the sauna, Finns do saunas, you know. And we would talk, and I would ask him over and over again to tell me what it was like on the Russian front. And uh, it was always joyous how the Lord protected him. And uh, I won't go into the war stories. They're they're so numerous. But more than being willing to lay down our lives on the battlefield, I believe we are to lay down our lives daily as husbands for our wives and our families. Ephesians 5.23, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, and gave Himself up for her, my dad daily encouraged my mother, and all of us to follow after Christ, to pray together, to trust Him, to be encouraged. He had this amazing ability. In fact, you can probably see a little bit of a smile on his face. There was a smile in his voice. I mean, just to have a phone call with my dad was just so fun. I mean, people loved to talk to him, and those conversations. There's never a short phone call with my dad. It was, just, it was just wonderful to just hear his voice. That's how he encouraged us. He laid down his life. He'd washed uh, dishes for years uh, so that he could just serve my mother. And uh, that was a great time for him to pray and just to talk to Agatha and encourage her. Jim Elliott said it so well. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A couple of weeks ago, Jim Garrett described Polycarp, one of our great heroes from the early church who would not deny Christ and was burned at the stake, but his body wouldn't burn, so they ran a a sword through him. All the apostles, save the apostle John, gave their lives for this faith. Our brothers and sisters around the world are dying, perhaps at greater numbers than ever before. David Barrett in 2014 or thereabout did a calculation that 70 million Christians have been martyred since the time of Jesus, and it's happening continually. There is and there are reasons to to give our lives and now I need to just go very, very quickly here. My dad taught me that we are to live an evangelistic lifestyle. I remember how he described uh, the youth work right after the war in Finland. There was this great enthusiasm. I think all the nation and, uh, were, were excited to be done with the war and still be free. And so many, many youth were coming to Christ. Uh, then, uh, moving quickly, we moved to the United States. My dad worked for Lions International, which is a service organization. They have clubs all over the world. He was the uh, office manager overseeing the European and African nations. And he would have Lion leaders from Africa from the Middle East, from Central Asia, come and visit him continually. And he uh, saw this as this uh, extended mission field. He said, the mission field comes to me. And he would tell all these friends that he was the happiest man in the world, and this is the reason why. It's kind of a pretty a dramatic thing to say to somebody you've never met before, but he was happy to do it. He would invite these uh, men to our home in Waukegan, just North Chicago. And uh, he, he would say, you know, in Finland and among Finns, uh, you know, we we like to take saunas. I'd like to invite you to come and have a sauna with 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 me and with my son, and and so we'd have a Hindu or a Muslim in the sauna with us and kind of soften him up that way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad would tell the happiest man in the in the world story, and uh, it was it was just uh, it was just amazing. I remember uh, when we were in Toronto still, uh, we would do street meetings sometimes for the Finnish community. And so my dad would be there, so I'd be there too. And I was hoping that my high school friends wouldn't come by and make fun of me. But that was his, his, his courage. You know, there's a recent book Jim's given me of uh, the need for us to be intentional and to be assertive in our in our witness. There's this phrase that's been used. You've heard it many, many times. Uh, you know, I shared the gospel. But it, it has this tone of uh, kind of benevolence on our part, sharing because somebody's begging to hear something, and there's a convenient moment. Paul said to Timothy, uh, you know, we are to... Uh, Preach the word. Be prepared in season, in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not will not put up with the sound with sound doctrine and so forth. But this, the sense of urgency, the sense of, of, of running up the flag and saying, "I'm a Christian, and I'd like you to hear why I am and and why it makes a difference." And uh, so. Let me encourage uh, us to, uh, to hear that as well on Father's Day. We who have been transformed by the gospel, we uh, who Christ is continuing to uh he is continuing to complete uh, a work in us. Let's be faithful to be his witnesses in season and out of season. Father, thank you for this Father's Day. I pray you would bless my brothers. I pray you would bless uh, my sisters, everyone in this room. Lord, help us with joy and with perseverance in prayer and with bold witness to share the good news of the gospel while we still have the opportunity. Help us to lay down our lives as husbands uh, for our wives, our children every day, and uh, help us to bring glory uh, to your name, regardless of what happens in Jesus' name. I want to say one more time, if anybody has not received Christ, uh, you can become the happiest person in the world today. If you uh, would just come forward after the service, I'd love to pray with you and other elders as well. Thanks for letting me go along, guys.